Hello, my name is Matt, and this is Giant Electric Penguin, episode 43. Whenever I finish an episode of the podcast, after I record it and edit it, I like to take a walk around my neighborhood and listen to the finished product. You know, just to make sure everything sounds all right, make sure I didn't accidentally leave in any dark family secrets or give away my social security number, something like that. Sometimes when I'm listening back, I think of better words I could have used or sometimes funnier jokes I could have made. And when I get back home, I uh, I don't do anything about it because I'm lazy. Sometimes I even get ideas for the next episode. Like maybe I said something that connects to something else that connects to something else and and so on. Like last week, I was walking around my neighborhood listening to episode 42 and I realized that I had missed a very interesting connection. It was right there, but I was so excited to talk about the fact that Charles Bronson's headshot hangs in the entrance of Babyland General Hospital that I just glossed right over it. And it's this. Xavier Roberts is basically the Nick Fury of the Cabbage Patch Kids cinematic universe. And the Cabbage Patch Kids themselves are the Skrulls, all right? And Otis Lee, you remember Otis Lee? He, he's either Talos or Captain Marvel. I haven't actually decided yet. He's probably Talos. And I thought maybe the Vlasic Pickle Stork is Captain Marvel. But I think I only, I, I think I only put that together because um, the Vlasic Pickle Stork can fly and so does so does Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel, though, is way cooler than the Vlasic Pickle Stork, and way more powerful, too. So, although, that Stork probably gets all the pickles he wants. Like, he's definitely got a lifetime supply of pickles in his pantry at home. In fact, I'll bet he's got a pantry specifically for pickles. A pickle pantry, if you will. Captain Marvel lives in outer space. I'm not sure where she'd even find pickles up there. So, so yeah, anyway, the, the story of the Cabbage Patch Kids, the, the legend that I read last week, is a lot like the story of the Disney Plus show Secret Invasion, which was a, which was a program that everybody but me seemed to hate. <laughs> that said, I think I'm finally ready to talk about the latest MCU movie. The Marvels. I'm part of a wide community of comic book fans on the social media site Instagram. Sometimes we agree. Sometimes we disagree. It's a lot like a real family, you know, where you don't talk to or actually know the majority of them, but whenever they post something you don't agree with, you take it way too personal. Maybe that's just me. Look, I just don't like it when certain members of the community make some sort of hot take. Most of the time, they don't, they don't think it's a hot take, I reckon. But they express an opinion, usually a negative one, and just assume or outright confirm that everyone agrees with them. And anybody who doesn't agree isn't a true fan. And they might be an idiot. Case in point, the Marvels. For some of the community, most... From what I've seen in my feed, the consensus was that the Marvel sucks. 
and that the MCU is done. Dead! Disney sucks. It's their fault. Good night and good luck. The problem is, guys and gals, I like the Marvels. In fact, most of the people I know and spend my time with in real life who saw the film enjoyed it. Now, I get it. I totally get it. We're wrong, obviously. But why are we so wrong? How did we go so far astray, Instagram comic book community gatekeepers? What's wrong with us? Please, direct message me at Giant Panky Podcast. Look, the Marvels hasn't been the hit Disney hoped for. That's undeniable. And I'll be honest, I kind of predicted that that would happen. I, though, chalked it up to that old chestnut superhero fatigue. It's a real thing, people. There will be a vaccine for it, but it's merely in the testing stages, okay? Scientists are working around the clock on this thing, but it's going to take time. Give the scientists time. And look, I'm a Marvel guy. I like Marvel Comics. I like the MCU. I'm going on a cruise in January that has an entire day devoted to all things Marvel. It's called the Marvel Day at Sea. I'm going to pose for for pictures wearing a Hawaiian shirt <laughs> and a bathing suit. I'm going to be posing with so many Marvel characters on this boat. It's going to it's going to be enough to to choke a donkey. And I'm going to love it. I'm going to have a big smile on my 44-year-old face the whole time. So maybe I skew too far the other way. I'm willing to admit that. I don't actually hate Thor the Dark World, okay? Does that give you a little insight into my sick brain? But something I read on one of these Instagram accounts is really stuck in my craw for the last two weeks. And I'm finally ready to vent about it. But not for an extended period of time. Um, That's not what I want to do. I just want to get it out and and move on. Look, I, I saw the Marvels the day it came out. Now, I don't usually do that, but it came out on Veterans Day and I had the day off. So did my daughter, and I thought, why not? I was going to see it someday, but I don't usually rush out on opening day for anything anymore. But we saw it, me and uh, my daughter, and we both really enjoyed it. The beginning was a little manic, honestly, but once it kind of settled into a rhythm, the Marvels was super entertaining. And it also didn't last for four hours, which was very, very nice of Marvel to do that for longtime fans. But there was this Instagram account, and I don't even remember who it was. And if I did, I wouldn't call them out anyway. But, but they, posed, they posed this question. They, they posted a picture of the Marvel's movie poster, and then they posed this question beneath it. They asked, why do you think the Marvel's failed at the box office? So typically, I would just move on from there. And like going, well, you know, it did fail. There's no denying that. I don't really care what the what the rabble thinks. I enjoyed it. That's all that matters to me. But uh, I did click on it. <laughs> I wish I hadn't. But like comment number one was this. Disney's finally learned. And I don't know who wrote this either. But this is word for word what they wrote. They wrote, Disney's finally learned. You go woke, you go broke. And then this other ding dong commented on that brilliant summation. Uh, they commented this. They, they said, I haven't seen it yet. They hadn't seen the Marvels yet. But I was going to say the same thing. So this guy hadn't seen it yet. But he, he had his hot take already locked and loaded. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the internet. All right. Look, 
what what does woke even mean anymore? Because I'm completely lost on this. I thought I knew what woke meant, but apparently I don't. What honestly, what was woke about the Marvels? Again, DM me. I would really like to know. In fact, but don't but don't really DM me because I don't care. I, I don't know what was woke woke about it. I've seen it and I'm completely in the dark. The only the only thing I can imagine these two idiots were talking about is what uh, my my favorite my favorite YouTuber RM Brown said on a recent episode of his show. And if you aren't watching RM Brown on a regular basis, uh, you really should be. What's wrong with you? Come on, get it together. But uh, but RM Brown was talking about this exact uh, exact thing. He had a, devoted a show to the Marvels and its failure. And and the only thing he could surmise was that if you have women in your movie, if women star in your movie, your movie is woke. If there are women in any sort of leadership role or if women are the main characters, your movie is officially woke. Is is that what it is? I, I think also if there are people of color or representatives from the LGBTQ community present in your film, that also makes your movie woke. So I think what 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 these people want is uh, they want all all movies should feature nothing but men and these men should be white. Uh, it doesn't matter what what the movie's about, but it just it should it should be two hours of white men doing stuff, and then your movie won't be woke or pushing some sort of agenda, and we can make the cinemas great again. Just white dudes in car car chases. That's that's every movie now. It's just gonna be white dudes. Driving around in cars, chasing chasing each other through uh, through uh, you know exotic uh, locales. Anyway, I, I don't really want to talk about this anymore because it's it's complete nonsense. Uh, the Marvels is a great movie. I, I recommend you go see it. You'll have a great time. It's a great time at the movies. Get some popcorn, get an icy, and sit down and enjoy yourself for an appropriate amount of time <laughs> for a superhero movie. Uh, I honestly wish it was woke. I wish it was uh, pushing this insane far left woke agenda that like bordered on parody, and then Ben Shapiro and Matt Walsh and uh, that other idiot, what's his name, Chowder, Stephen Chowder, then he could do he, they could do a million podcasts about it that we could all collectively ignore. But you know, in my opinion, it's just another MCU movie, and and that's probably why I didn't take the box office by storm. It's it's more superheroes flying around fighting aliens. That are armed with magical hammers. You know, I get it. It's not everyone's cup of tea. But you can go, you can go see something else. Go see uh what what is it? Killers of the Flower Moon, right? Is that what it's called? Uh that's a that's got a bunch of Native Americans getting brutally murdered in that one, right? There's no no woke there. Get a ticket for that one. Alright, that, that's enough of this. <laughs> I'm done. Hey, I'm sorry, everybody. I kind of got a little worked up in that last segment. I just, I don't know. It just really grinds my gears, all this uh, this go-woo-goo-broke bullshit. But I started a fire. We're out here, outside, uh, under the stars. Uh, a, a nice, warm fire. And nothing calms me down like a nice 
campfire. So we're gonna let's let's keep it calm for the rest of the show. All right, that's my that's my commitment to you. Anyway, I had a lot of fun last week talking about the Cabbage Patch Kids. I hope you enjoyed uh, listening to it. Uh, but that was not originally what I had planned for episode forty-two. That uh, Cabbage Patch Kids talk that was a last-minute pivot. I'd actually written a script, a short play, if you will, titled A Hobo's Thanksgiving. I have so enjoyed working with the hobo during the uh, Cavalcade of Horror, and then when he did my other podcast, Matt and Quinn Watch a Thing, that I wanted to have him back on the show. So I wrote this one-act Thanksgiving play, Basically, in it, the hobo would have been playing, uh, he'd be playing my character's father. My character's name was Milton. And uh, Milton is kind of like this stuffy suburban square. Uh, he's obsessed with his job, his status in the community. He, uh, he drives a Tesla, all of this. And, and the hobo would have been Milton Sr., who's, well, you know, he's a hobo. Anyway, Milton Sr. pretty much accepts Milton Jr.'s invitation Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, while the dinner is being uh, eaten, truths are revealed, tears are shed. Uh, it was probably going to be the thing that put this ridiculous podcast on the map. Finally get us a write-up on the AV Club. But then the emails started rolling in. I just finished listening to your Halloween episodes. And I can't believe how much you used the H slur. Wow. Uh, and what, what did this one say? Oh, my goodness. Someone is still using the word hobo in 2023? Okay, boomer. And what? And then there was this one. Way to slander the homeless, you dickless bigot. <laughs> like, that one particularly hurt because I do, in fact, uh, have a dick. Uh, but, but these emails, along with hundreds of others, were coming down on me for using the word hobo. And honestly, I was confused. Is hobo a derogatory term? Well, I did some internet research, and I started at the nationalhomeless.org webpage, where they had a little article that doesn't seem to want to load right now. <laughs> Which is, which is perfect for when you want to record a podcast and the thing you want to read won't load. All right, just stare into the fire, Matt. Let the, let the fire calm, calm you and cleanse you. Cleanse you of your anger and your impatience. How is everyone? Did you have a nice Thanksgiving? I hope you did. I did. I'm trying to uh, live a more healthy lifestyle now because I got, you know, some bad news the last time I uh, got some blood work done at the doctor. So really trying to, uh, I've really altered, I've really changed a lot of how I conduct myself. And uh, so this year I was pretty proud of myself. I, I sat down, I had, I had a whole, I had a whole plate of Thanksgiving food, uh, but that was it. I just had one helping. And you know what? It was very satisfying, and I was the only person after the meal 
The only person who wasn't going, no, I ain't too much. And I'm not, you know, I'm with everybody who gets online and they're like, hey, you know, at Thanksgiving time, you don't have to apologize for loving to eat food. So you don't, you don't. That's not why I'm saying any of this. All, all of my, all my issues, they're my personal issues. That's why I'm not eating as much and I've cut out sugar. I don't drink soda anymore. And I try to do a lot of more physical activity. It's 100% me. It has nothing to do with anybody else's lifestyle. But uh, it did feel pretty good to not just be horrifically stuffed to the gills. I recommend at least trying it at least once, not really, you know, losing yourself in the uh, the tornado of delicious Thanksgiving food. It's worth doing, and uh, you know, in fact, after that delicious Thanksgiving meal, guess what we did? We sat around a fire. We went outside. My dad built a fire. We sat around it. It was it was lovely, and all the all the stress of the of of, of modern life melted away. What the hell is wrong with this fucking website? All right, hang on. I'm shutting everything down, and then we'll uh, we'll be right back. All right, welcome back to the Giant Electric Penguin uh, Fireside Chats. This will be the first of several, um, you know, Fireside Chats I plan on uh, releasing, where I where I talk about the state of the world. And what I think uh, should be done to fix everything. I, of course, will be sharing my opinion, which I believe is 100% correct. And I believe uh, should be adopted uh, by everybody immediately in order for the world to be a much better place. Mostly for me. All right. We're here at the National Coalition for the Homeless. And this is an article that I found uh, entitled... uh, Hobos, Bums, and Tramps, How Our Terminology of Homelessness Has Changed. Uh, Resentment and fear of the homeless is nothing new. Vagrancy was criminalized in England four centuries before the American Revolution. In 1547, England began branding those arrested for vagrancy with a V for vagabond. Those arrested a second time could be executed. Well, that is (laughs) shocking. Good Lord. Attitudes have shifted over time as is terminology. While bum is a derogatory term for someone without a fixed residence and and, and regular employment, terms like hobo and tramp conjure up nostalgia that belies the difficulty in their wandering lifestyles. And that's, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, hobos and tramps, I haven't thought of them as homeless or unhoused people. And and I wouldn't come down on homeless people either, or or the unhoused. I don't know what the terminology is, uh, the appropriate terminology is for today. Uh, but, you know, when I think of a hobo, I think of someone who's riding the rails, you know, seeing the world, not uh, not causing no problems for nobody. Uh, they're just out there seeing the world. And, uh, you know, you know, uh, you know, I don't like like I think of Jack Kerouac and on the road. Like, that's what I think about. It's a very romantic lifestyle. Uh, I did go to vocabulary.com, which kind of seems like it's a lot like dictionary.com but it's got like it's got a little bit of uh, commentary to make you feel bad about yourself uh their their definition for hobo at vocabulary.com it uh, says this this is the definition by the way be careful when you call a vagrant or homeless person a hobo although this exact this is exactly what the word means it is a somewhat offensive term so according to vocabulary.com I've been using slurs all left and right all over the place. And in front of my 
12-year-old daughter. Uh, back to vocabulary.com. The end of the 19th century brought the start of the word hobo in the western United States. No one is certain where the word came from, although there are a couple of educated guesses. One possible origin is the English word hawbuck, which means country bumpkin, while another is the common working man's greeting or call during the building of the railroads in the West, ho boy! <laughs> I don't know if that's how they did it. Ho boy! You know? Anyway. So according to vocabulary.com, here, this is the definition of a hobo. Noun, a disreputable vagrant. Well, I don't think that at all. Come on now. Uh, I found this on Reddit in answer to the question, if you call someone a hobo, is it considered offensive? And someone uh, commented on that, hoboing is a time-honored tradition. It's about being free to go where thy will points and carrying no baggage. Bindle stiff, however, that's the lowest form of life. Calling anyone a bindle stiff is grounds for a firm ass whooping. All right, well, I've never used the term bindle stiff, except right now I used it twice. But I'm just reading something I saw on Reddit. So I, I, I would never dream of calling anyone a bindle stiff. Anyway, long story short, I scrapped a hobo's Thanksgiving, all right? Even though it depicted hoboing in a very, very positive light. Uh, you know, Milton Jr. and Sr. embrace the hobo lifestyle at the end. They become a father and son hobo team. It's really beautiful, but I canceled it. All right? I burned the script, and I, I, I took several shots from a bottle of tequila I had lying around until the memory of the story and its characters were obliterated from my mind. Well, most of the story and characters. Obviously, I was able to describe some of it here, uh, but regardless, it, that does not matter. <laughs> but I thought, who better to address this controversy than the hobo himself? He's worked with me on several projects now. I mentioned them up top. And I like to think we've become close friends, even collaborators. So here with me now, ladies and gentlemen, my friend, the hobo. <laughs> So what have you been up to lately, hobo? <laughs> Just traveling around this great nation. Bindle on my shoulder, beans in my belly. Telling stories to whoever I meet. Stories, huh? What kind of stories are you telling? <laughs> oh, you know. Ghost stories, weird stories, murders too. Well, thanks for coming back to the show. Uh, let's just get right to it. Am I an asshole for using the word hobo? <laughs> no, I am a hobo. Proud of it. <laughs> I ride the rails. Travel from town to town telling stories. <laughs> I pick up work here and there. <laughs> Pay my taxes. I, I appear on a podcast now and then. <laughs> I don't know what else you'd call me. <laughs> Actually, hobo, I think about it. I am an asshole. 
Because I should probably be calling you by your name. Since we've known each other, I've only ever referred to you as the hobo. That, I think, is more offensive than anything else. So what, what is your name? <laughs> it ain't important. No, no, it is. Well, <laughs> folks around the train yards call me Bobo. <laughs> Bobo? Yep. So you're, uh, you're Bobo the Hobo. <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> or just Bobo. Bobo MacArthur. What, what would you say to all these people listening to this that are going, how does any of this justify Matt's repeated use of the word hobo? Pointing out that I, I do your voice, and this whole conversation is basically just me talking to myself. What do you, what do you say to the person who, who says that? <laughs> well, <laughs> I'd say, deal with it, dickwad. <laughs> well, thank you, hobo. Bomo McCarthy, everyone. Will you stick around for our final segment? I, I think it's right up your alley. I would love to. I probably won't say much, though, seeing as though I just had major dental surgery. <laughs> well, you've, I mean, you've been talking just fine. I mean, and maybe more, more uh, chuckling than usual, but you sound all right to me. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> well, I, I had the, the dental surgery uh, uh, just right now. <laughs> Wait, like right now during the interview? <laughs> yes. V very quietly. My gums hurt something awful. So I'm going to quit my yapping and, and just sit here by the fire quietly. <laughs> okay, then. All right. Thank you, Bobo. Bobo MacArthur, everyone. Well, uh, longtime listeners to the show will know that a few weeks back, I read a book called There's Something in the Walls. And it's puppets, or something like that. Hang on. That's so rude. I am an asshole. <laughs> What's the actual title? Ah, it's, I, I read a book called I Found Puppets Living in the Walls of My Apartment and uh, by Ben Farthing. And uh, it wasn't really my cup of hobo chili, but it did inspire me to seek out more short-form horror. So this week on the show, I wanted to talk about two more horror novellas I've read recently. Eric LaRocca's Things Have Gotten Worse Since We Last Spoke, and Stephen Graham Jones's Night of the Mannequins. These were two books I found at my local library, and I just had to check them out. Both titles grabbed me instantly, and I really love the cover of Things Have Gotten Worse Since We Last Spoke. I'll post a picture of it on our Instagram, Giant Panky Podcast. I guess you could say that I uh, judged a book by its cover, and uh, I was I was right to do so, because this cover is cool, and this book was pretty cool, but I don't want to get uh, ahead of myself. So I guess what I can do is sort of a last two movies type of thing with these books. Remember last two movies, that podcast segment from like 40 episodes ago? <laughs> I'm bringing it back, by the way. Uh, I've got big plans for last two movies, but that's for later. That's probably for 2024, so I hope you stick around into the new year. 
So let's do like last two books, maybe. Starting with Things Have Gotten Worse Since We Last Spoke by Eric LaRocca. The one thing about Ben Farthing's book, the, uh, the puppet one, wasn't really his fault. It was the reviews. Like, let me read this review that someone wrote. Someone named B. Uh, gave it five stars and wrote the following review. It's titled, This Story Haunts My Dreams. I really, really enjoyed this book. That being said, I mistakenly thought this was going to be a horror comedy, and that's not what this was at all. I found puppets is creepy and harrowing, filled with dread, sprinkled with a bit of grief, and slam-packed with ominous puppet creatures. <laughs> this was a quick read, and I was captivated from the first page. I nearly devoured it in its entirety in one sitting. I've never read anything like it. The story has haunted me since I finished the last page, and I don't think I'll ever be able to look at a puppet the same way again. And just those, this, like... It haunts my dreams. It was ominous, um, dread, uh, harrowing. It's harrowing. And, like, I didn't get that at all from I Found Puppets Living in My Apartment Walls. There was nothing scary or unsettling about the book to me, personally. However, things have gotten worse since we last spoke is all unsettling. And to be honest, it was kind of refreshing to find out that I could still be unsettled by something. Uh, I want to give a short, spoiler-free description of the plot. Uh, I mean, it's a short book anyway, but basically it's the story of two women. Uh, it's almost presented as sort of like a true crime thing, like the author piece together these uh, it's it's basically made up of a collection of emails between these two women and then some like um, like some chats that they did online Agnes Petrella and this the other girl's name is um, uh, Zoe Cross so Agnes it starts with Agnes getting online and she's trying to sell this antique apple peeler the, the whole story starts with someone trying to sell an apple peeler. It's something her grandma had, and she thinks it's worth some money, and she wants to sell it. And the, uh, Zoe Cross reaches out to her. And it's from that very innocent beginning that Agnes and Zoe sort of strike up a friendship at first, a chatting, you know, a sort of a chatting friendship. That kind of moves into something a little more, a little more sinister. And I, I don't want to get too much into it. I'll just say up here at the top, things have gotten worse since we last spoke. Is a really, it's a really great little story. I really liked it. It is, it is very disturbing. Not disturbing to the point that it's going to ruin your life. <laughs> uh, but disturbing to the point that'll stick with you for a while. When you'll read it, you'll, you get, a, you'll get a little antsy. You'll move around in your seat like, I don't like this. But uh, basically, the, the relationship becomes very, very, um, I don't know, disturbing. I've never been, in, I've never entered into a relationship like this. Zoe basically writes up a contract, and you'll, you'll have to read it to find out how it gets from selling apple peelers to 
uh, Zoe writing up a contract that she is going to basically be um, Agnes's, um, I guess, master. Is there any? They, they have. She has a name for it. Hang on. Let me look it up. She's basically going to run Agnes's life. They make this agreement online that Zoe will be in, in charge of every aspect of Agnes's life. Oh, so here it is. So, so Zoe becomes what she calls the sponsor, and Agnes is described as the drudge. And let me just, this is from the, uh, the, this is the contract agreement. I won't read the whole thing, obviously. You should read it. But she comes up, she says, yeah, are you, are you interested in this, Agnes? Because if you are, I'll write up a contract. And Agnes is like, yeah. Because Agnes is kind of struggling in life. She doesn't like her job. She's behind in rent. She's behind in a lot of things. And so Zoe is able to help her. We never really find out much about like what Zoe does for a living or anything. It seems like she's working a lot and that she actually is pretty well off with money because she you know, helps Agnes with a few things. And then just decides, hey, they, as they get closer, he's like, maybe you want to try to get into this situation with me. Basically, this is, so Zoe Cross, here and after referred to as sponsor, hereby binds this contract with Agnes Petrella, here and after referred to as drudge in this contract of sponsorship. Said contract refers to a total dominance and control of owner in this relationship with said drudge in regard to the stipulations contained herein. It is notified that the official agreement was reached on the day of June 7th, the year 2000. This contract is to be a written declaration of this fact. And then there's, so then there's kind of different uh, things here. Uh, like one, the drudge agrees to obey to the best of her ability and devote herself entirely to the pleasures and desires of the sponsor. The drudge also renounces all rights to her own pleasure, comfort, or gratification, except in is so far insofar as permitted by the sponsor uh two the drudge agrees to hand over the password and all subsequent details of her bank account information to the sponsor so that the sponsor is in full control of her accounts the drudge agrees to never question the sponsor with regard to finances and fully understands that the sponsor's full possession of her account is for her physical and mental well-being uh then so you know it, I, i've got i think i've heard of like sort of like a fetish like this where somebody's like in charge of the just kind of dominant the one party is very dominant and even fight to the point of financially but then there's this number three the drudge will sleep in the nude with the air conditioning on full blast even in winter months this is intended to show servitude to the sponsor and is and is a means by which the drudge can make a small sacrifice in order to exhibit an unparalleled level of loyalty uh, let's see. The drudge will only consume food at the following times, 10 a.m., 1 p.m., and 6 p.m. The strict regime or regimen. Oh, that'll, that'll, that, that problem that I have with those words. Uh, this strict regimen of feeding will not only improve digestion, but will keep the drudge balanced in good faith with the sponsor. Uh, let's see. The sponsor accepts full responsibility of the drudge. The drudge agrees and understands that any infractions in this contract or, uh, that, or any act the drudge commits which displeases the sponsor result in punishment. Anyway, it's a it's a fucked up contract that they make, but uh, they you know for a while it works, and then Agnes kind of freaks out, and then Agnes comes back full force, and then Zoe kind of freaks out, and then I don't want to get into what happens at the end, but it's it's pretty troubling. It sticks with you, and uh, it's a pretty I wouldn't call it scary. 
in a sense of ghosts and goblins are, are running through this thing because there's no ghosts and goblins and there's no puppets. Nobody has any puppets doing anything, but uh, it's, it's very psychologically disturbing, but it's also really good. I really enjoyed it. I read it in, in, a, uh, in a single day. It's pretty short, too. There was one thing I didn't particularly enjoy. Like a lot of books, um, a lot of the discussions between the two main characters read like two uh, you know novelists talking or like, or like two authors writing at each other. Doesn't sound like real conversation. It's a little too elevated. Uh, like this, uh, for instance, let's see. This description on page uh, 92 of, um, this is Agnes describing some meat that she bought from the local grocery store. Um, let's see. Uh, when, when he was done, this is the butcher. When he was done packaging it, it was neatly packaged as a, it was as neatly packaged as a Christmas present. I recall marveling at the wrapping paper. I remember how when I was little, I thought exquisitely wrapped slices of meat resembled something too graceful to eat, as if it were the organ of an angel, the innards of some divine being far too consecrated to consume. Uh, it, it's just a bit much. <laughs> but I don't know. But I don't know. Zoe, at this point in the story where, where she's describing this meat, has kind of really lost track of uh, basically the plot of, uh, of her life. So maybe maybe she's in a heightened state where she's writing like like some sort of poet. But uh, things have gotten worse since we last spoke. Is disturbing. It's a lot of fun to read, uh, and uh, I uh, I liked it. I really liked it. All right, let's move on to this other book. This is called Night of the Mannequins, which was written by Stephen Graham Jones. It's another kind of short horror thing and uh the reason i interested me was you know mannequins don't seem too far off from ventriloquist dummies of course you all know my obsession with those so i thought yeah sure i'd, I'd be interested in that uh it's about another unhinged young person um but this time it's a young man named sawyer and he's got a group of friends and they play a they try to they they uh, they play a hilarious prank on uh another friend of theirs who works at a movie theater Basically, when when the, the this group of friends they've been friends since they were little kids, and when they were little, they found this mannequin in the in a in like the swamp. They dig it out of the swamp, and they used to you know dress it up and like put it you know put it in other you know outside other the other friends' houses. They were always using they were always passing this mannequin around, playing jokes on each other, and then for years for years they kind of you know they kind of grew up and got into other things. I, I assume. Uh, vaping and uh, and uh, um, what else? What else do what else do dumb teenagers get into? <laughs> uh, skinny dipping. These guys all go skinny dipping at some point. So you know you get into that fun teenage stuff like vaping and getting naked in front of each other. And they sort of let uh, the mannequin. Uh, I believe his name's Manny. That's what they. That's what Sawyer calls him. They kind of let their relationship with with Manny uh, sort of uh, go go away. They stop spending so much time with Manny. But here they are, the end toward the end of high school. They decide to play this joke on their friend at the movie theater. They they bring Manny back. They get him all dressed up. They take him to a movie theater, and uh, then the the one of them goes out and complains uh, to the usher that there's somebody in the movie theater making a bunch of noise. Can you go through and 
and uh, you know check everybody's ticket because the beginning of the book they all get caught for sneaking into the movie. So uh, they they just they keep wanting to do they keep wanting to like run pranks at this at this movie theater. I, I don't know why, uh, but uh, they so they sit Manny down. They all sit in different parts of the uh, the movie theater, and uh, the the usher comes in. In fact, he brings a couple other ushers with him. And they check everybody's tickets, and uh, somehow, you know, and they, what they've they've purchased the ticket for Manny, uh, and the way they get Manny into the theater and get him all set up doesn't really isn't really realistic, but it doesn't matter. Uh, they put the ticket in like Manny's front pocket anyway. Uh, they're all, you know, Sawyer's watching. He's all excited. He's like, oh, the usher's about to talk to Manny. He's, he's going to find out it's a mannequin. He's going to shit his pants. It's going to be hilarious. He's like, how did you get a ticket? And uh, he checks Manny's ticket, and then he just like moves on, and like nothing happens. And Sawyer's like, what the fuck? And uh, then the, the movie ends, and uh, Sawyer witnesses Manny stand up and leave the movie theater. Now, if you're anything like me, you read that, and you peed a little in your pants. <laughs> uh, that's scary. That's that's very, very, very frightening. And it, and it frightens Sawyer, and Sawyer starts to uh, put together... He thinks he's sort of figured out what's going on with Manny. He's convinced Manny has come to life and is going to get revenge on all of them for kind of, you know, ignoring him for years upon years. And Sawyer gets it stuck in his head. And I, I, I feel like I'm getting into spoiler territory if, if, I, if I say this. So if you, if you found yourself fascinated and or you know interested like you want to read this book and I do I will say um, I, I do recommend uh, Night of the Mannequins. In fact, this isn't really last two books because I'm not going to pick which one I liked more because I actually like both these books uh, a lot. I thought they were really great books and and I read it's two books and I read them in two days. Uh, they're short. They're they are disturbing and uh, they're disturbing. They're not scary, but they're well written. They're they're a lot of fun to read. So if you don't want me to say this next thing, skip ahead a couple seconds. But you find out pretty quickly. In fact, if you read the back of the book, it gives this away. <laughs> so maybe don't even read the back of the book. If, if just hearing that a mannequin stood up and walked out of a movie theater is enough to get you to check this book out, which it's enough, it would be enough for me if I heard somebody talking about it, um, then, uh, you know, then stop. Don't just scoot ahead to the to the end of this. But what 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 happens is you know Sawyer kind of convinces himself that he's got it all figured out. Manny is mad because they they kind of stopped playing with him when they got too old, and now Manny's gonna kill them one by one, and not just them. He's gonna kill them and their entire families because something happens that sort of clicks that in his brain where now he's convinced all of them, all of their families are in danger. So instead of letting, you know, all these, these four different families be decimated by Manny, the homicidal mannequin, uh, before that can happen, Sawyer is going to go around and kill each one of his friends and then himself so that Manny then will not have to kill their families. And why does Sawyer think this? Well, read the book. He's clearly, not well, <laughs> but uh, it's pretty darn interesting, and uh, I really liked it. All right, welcome back. Those are the two books. Uh, they are entitled Night of the Mannequins by Stephen Graham Jones, and things have gotten worse since we last spoke. 
and that's by Zach De La Roca. No, no, wait. <laughs> Who wrote this book? Uh, Eric La Roca. It was not written by the lead singer of Rage Against the Machine. Uh, these are two books that I uh, that I recommend you read, and uh, after you read them, you can uh, <laughs> return them to the library. <laughs> Hobo, uh, what did you think of those books? <laughs> they sound great. All right, thank you. All right, let's let's finish this episode. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, that's the end of episode 43 of Giant Electric Penguin. I know what you're saying to yourself right now. Matt, you didn't talk about Paul Simon once during this episode. And you're right, I didn't. And I'm, I'm sorry about that. I apologize. So what I, what I did for you guys is I made a list of 10 Paul Simon songs that you need to listen to right now, right this minute, right when this podcast is over. You go over to uh, Spotify or Amazon Music or where, wherever you listen to music and you listen to these uh, 10 Paul Simon songs. That I uh, that are ten of my favorites, and I, I will say that I kept it to uh, Paul Simon uh, his uh, his solo stuff. So there's no Simon and Garfunkel. You can listen to any of that stuff, and any of Simon and Garfunkel you're, you're you're gonna love, and you're gonna know it has the Matt seal of approval, the stamp of approval. But here are ten Paul Simon songs that I love, and you should go listen to right now because you're gonna love them too. They're great. Uh, we have the, uh, the song Duncan. Uh, uh, Graceland, which Graceland has my absolute favorite line in any Paul Simon song ever. Maybe my favorite line in any song ever written. She comes back to tell me she's gone. As if I didn't know that. As if I didn't know my own bed. As if I'd never noticed the way she brushed her hair. Every time I hear that line right there, I tear up. So uh, there you go. There's a there's a fun fact about me. Uh, let's see. Number three, The Obvious Child, uh, Hearts and Bones, American Tune, great song, Under African Skies, Loves Me Like a Rock, Father and Daughter, another one that I cry every time I listen to it, uh, Kodachrome, and The Boy in the Bubble. Those are 10 Paul Simon songs that I love that you can go listen to right now, and I guarantee you're going to have the time of your life. You're going to go, wee while you listen to it. Another song that you should listen to by Paul Simon is a little song called Cars Are Cars, uh, which was not mentioned in the book I just read, which I, which was very strange that they didn't mention Cars Are Cars. Cars Are Cars is one of those songs that it's it's not great, but it needs to be heard to be believed. You know, like, like uh, what's that? Lenny Bruce is Dead by Bob Dylan. Or uh, Peter Gabriel's Ron Jeremy for President. They're just songs you can't believe exist. And then you hear them and you go, wow, they do exist. Hey, they do exist. <laughs> Why is Santa so amazed? I guess I'd be amazed too if I found, like if I had confirmation 
that that human-sized M&Ms existed. <laughs> uh, anyway, you know, what are some... Uh, they're all great songs, but you know, Mother and Child Reunion, Diamonds on the Soles of Her Shoes, Gone at Last, uh, Me and Julio Down by the Schoolyard, uh, Still Crazy After All These Years, The Coast, uh, the, the, uh, the Hobo uh, just gave me a note. He said, uh, uh, Train in the Distance. That's his favorite. Uh, you can't go wrong with any of these. And like I said, then there's all the Simon and Garfunkel stuff. I mean, come on. I was driving around with my daughter last week, and I was playing Bridge Over Troubled Water, and uh, she loved it. I thought, she, she's over there in the front seat of the car, front, and uh, I, I thought she was texting her friend. I thought she was totally ignoring uh, what was going on. But she suddenly looks over at me in, in the in the darkness of the car. We were coming back from dinner. I took her out to dinner. And she goes, Dad, this is really good. And I said, I, I told you, I told you. Anyway, that's all I got for you this week, gang. Uh, you can complain about how woke this podcast is by writing to us at giantpengipodcast at gmail.com. Or maybe you think we aren't woke enough. Or maybe you're like, how dare he not mention 50 ways to leave your lover? How can he even call himself a Paul Simon fan? Write to me. It's free, okay? And follow me on Instagram at Giant Pengi Podcast. We have a lot of fun stuff coming up for you in December. But until then, my name is Matt. This was Giant Electric Penguin. And of course, thank you for listening to podcasts. Well, hobo. <coughs> oh my God, that voice is hard to do. <coughs>